Hey, so check this out. Our friend Scott Kettner has a new website. It's called worlddrumlessons.com. And for our listeners, because you're so special, he is offering a special coupon for one month free lessons in either Madaka 2 or Pandeiro or both. Hey, why don't you do both since it's free? So if you head on over to thebrazilianbeat.com, you'll find some coupons for these online classes. And if you are not familiar with Scott, he is an amazing educator and musician, and he knows his shit. Excuse my French. If you go to the website and you um, log on, you'll find all kinds of videos, PDFs, just so much information about these two genres. And he's going to be having more videos and information on different topics. But for now, why don't you take these two free classes that he's offering? I've done the some of the Madaka 2 work on here. I can't do all of it because there's so much. I, I, I'm working on it, okay? So um, I play Abe. If I want to go work on my Kaisha chops or on different techniques or different styles of the different Madaka 2s in Hesifi, I can go check out these references on worlddrawlessons.com. So take advantage. Go to the Brazilian Beat, get that coupon, sign up for worlddrumlessons.com for this free trial, and who knows, you'll probably sign up forever because you like it so much. So take advantage. Worlddrumlessons.com, go there. All the music you hear on today's podcast is from Samba Nashville. Welcome to the Brazilian Beat. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music-making community one interview at a time. I'm Diana. And this is Courtney. And today we have Zachary Himmelho. He is a world percussionist with specialization in Afro-Cuban, Brazilian, and Caribbean styles. Zachary played with Bloco Maximo, Reed Flicks group there in Chicago, which he was episode 26. If you want to go back and listen to that, that was a fun interview. Um, they were a Brazilian Samba Bateria, and um, he played in that group for five years and was really drawn into the rhythms and energies of the music, along with the community atmosphere of both Afro-Brazilian rhythms from Bahia and Rio's Street Samba. After moving to Nashville, Tennessee, Zach formed a local bateria to bring together the talented group of musicians known as Samba Nashville. He also teaches world music in the Nashville public school system, and you're going to hear all about this in the interview. Zachary has performed with numerous artists, including Andy Norell, Lenny Castro, Etienne Charles, The Cool Kids, Daru Jones, Mark Walker, Dave Garfield, Dred Scott, Pat Cronley, Victor Garcia, Jeff Bradfield, and Daphne Willis. He's played at events throughout the country, including the Percussive Arts Society International Convention, Lollapalooza, and the Detroit Jazz Festival, the Hyde Park Jazz Festival Benefit Concert, the Windsor Jazz Festival, and the Syracuse Jazz Festival. This was a fun interview, and it was nice to um, talk to somebody that is um, kind of outside the Brazil camp group. He's um, doing some really cool things and has some really interesting things to say. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. 
Okay, welcome to the Brazilian Beat. This is Courtney. And this is Diana. Hello. Hello, what's new? Um, it's cold. It's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> and for our friends in Austin, I hear it's, uh, it's snowing there. So uh, What? Yeah, it's snowing in Austin. Imagine that. Before it snows here. Uh, tech support. <laughs> Dr. Ray, stay warm. They probably don't own any, any gloves or hats down there. Yeah, they don't know what to do. Yeah. But uh, we also have somebody else close to our Austin friends, somewhat close, closer to us the, the, than us. South. We have yeah. Zachary Himmelho from Samba Nashville. Welcome. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's a Good. pleasure and honor to be on the, the podcast. I'm a longtime listener and uh, excited to talk with you guys today. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's Appreciate always that. nice to uh, talk to somebody that we don't know that's that's in this circle. Yeah, seriously. And I don't, you know, I don't get to make it out to camp due to uh, my schedule and geography. So I, I miss a lot of you West Coast people. So I'm excited to, to expand the circle. Great. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Where, uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How did you first get started in music? Well, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. Um, I, as my mom plays the piano and can, can sight read almost anything you put in front of her. And so she always encouraged us to play um, so much so that we were in piano lessons before school. I don't know if it was like one or two days a week, but th this story is, you know, it's kind of the the myth of the family. I, I think I tell it a little different than she does, but I remember it as us going to get piano lessons at like 5, 5.30 in the morning. Oh my gosh. And we would take, because we took the bus from the piano teacher's house to school. So, so I think that was, you know, just one or two days a week, but um, I didn't wow. stick with it for too long, you know, a few years. And then as a, a teenager, I took some guitar lessons and nothing really stuck. Um, and then I was about 17, like maybe a junior in high school. Um, and I was playing sports and, you know, kind of doing all that stuff. And um, I had a really good buddy, uh, Benjamin Schlater, who still lives in Flint, great drummer, great percussionist. Um, and he had joined the steel drum band at the local community college. And they did a concert at our high school. And I was just like mesmerized and just blown away. Um, and that was sort of my, my calling to percussion instruments. Um, mm. And so I saw out a teacher, um, you know, through people's recommendation and um, started studying with this guy, Andy Lloyd. Um, and we would do, uh, like a half hour of drum set and a half hour of music theory on piano. So I was kind of, wow, yeah. Getting a large, a large That's scope great. of things. Yeah. It was a awesome. He was an awesome teacher. Um, and he was a, uh, alumni of the steel drum band. And so when I was getting ready to, to start college, I was looking at some places, um, you know, I had kind of decided I, I just loved music. I was I was falling more in love with it every day. And um, I decided that was what I wanted to do. But I, I really didn't have a lot of formal experience. So to go somewhere um, with a big music program, I was probably not going to get in right away. I wasn't going to be able to pass like a classical percussion audition, you know, play marimba and play timpani. And I'd never done any of those things before. Um, so I 
just kind of decided I would stay home and see if I could become a part of the steel drum band. And so I, I started going to these rehearsals and, and just sitting in the audience of, you know, it's like a classroom, but they have like three or four rows of seats. So I would just sit there while they rehearse. Um, and if they needed someone to just play some very simple part, I would come down and I would learn it. So, so is this, so is this a community college class? Or? So this is, um, it's through a, a school called Mott Community College. Um, like the applesauce people, the Mott, the Mott family, a <laughs> um, claim to fame, you know? Um, and so they also have an alternative high school attached. And so the students can go to the high school for five years and take classes through the community college and they can get an associate's degree and a high school mm. diploma. Mm, um, cool. and, and the director, um, who's still a, a close friend and mentor, uh, James Koviak started this program and had this amazing group of, of high school kids that while they were in high school, he was able to take them to perform at um, the Montreux Jazz Festival wow. in Switzerland and some other places in, in Europe. And um, they performed as like a featured concert for Bands of America and all this great stuff. And so, so when these kids grew up into college age, he expanded the program to, to encompass the college. And then when they became older than college age, he expanded the program to be a professional group. And so it kind of worked under the guise of whatever he could kind of follow his alumni as. Um, and so when I came into the group was kind of right as it was, it was transitioning to more of a professional thing, but we were still run through the school and we still took the class every semester. And that was how he, you know, was able to run the class and get funding right, and stuff. Right. Um, and so my first gig with them was the Detroit Jazz Festival. I think it was 2005. Um, and I played hand claps <laughs> and, <laughs> and cymbal swells. I played the hands. <laughs> I played the hands. But, you know, I mean, what great training for a percussionist to just figure out, like, first thing you got to do is learn how to just clap your hands on beat, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, totally. um, So, you know, it seems kind of silly, but, like, that experience of going somewhere every day and being that dedicated to, like, this hand clap part, you know, paid huge dividends in the end because because right, right. in any musical endeavor like you got to be willing to just put some extra time in right it's never going to be mm -hmm. cut and dry and easy um yeah yeah for sure it's been like depending on your level you know different things are hard if you're pushing yourself right right and it's and as a you know somebody who became an educator seeing that uh ability to modify and to have a, a student who really literally has no no skill or background. I mean, I was terrible. <laughs> um, and, and give them a part and make them feel included and, and have them be someone who felt passionate enough as a result of your, your help to want to continue and, and get mm -hmm. better is, you know, it's mm -hmm. a gift. So, yeah, well. um, so that was really cool. And then we, you know, we did some other really cool gigs. We, we did the percussive arts society convention um, and some other stuff where, you know, I played shaker egg at that and like all these, all these really early experiences of, of playing kind of 
meaningless, seemingly meaningless parts that, you know, we all know the shaker is a very important part, but, um, uh, so then the big kind of turnaround and, and through all this time, like we just, we kind of had a close group of people who, who just wanted to make the group better. And so we would be in there anytime we didn't have class, we'd be in there practicing and it nice. might be five or 10 people in there practicing their parts at the same time, just sounding like complete chaos to any sort of outside person. Um, But, but that meant there was always someone there that could help you if you ran into a snag. Um, And so it was just a really uh, communal vibe. Um, We were all, we were all mostly of the same age. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I ended up, um, you know, kind of diving in and committing to it and, and moving across the street from the band room. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I was in there as much as I could be taking advantage of, of the access to the instruments. And we were able to, um, we were on a list with like the security of the school. We could call them and let get into the room at almost any time. Wow. Yeah. It was really, really, really cool. Um, and then there was this, this, little mini tour we did where we went and played for all of the elementary schools in the Flint public school district, which was like 24 or 25 schools. And we did that, um, all in one month. So sometimes doing two or three schools a day. And that was kind of a chance for me to like, just kind of figure it out, like how to make it work, how to, how to get through some of the issues with, um, at that time I was playing mostly hand drums, congas and, and auxiliary percussion kind of became my role with that group. Cause that's, that's just what the role that needed to be filled. Um, and so it was really a chance for me to just kind of get through some of those issues. Like your hands hurt. Well, you got to play, <laughs> you got to show, um, and, and to, you know, get practice soloing in front of other people and stuff like that, that, that 24 gigs in one month was, was really huge. Yeah. Um, Especially at that age. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and at that ability level, at that formative, right. like just really kind of starting to figure some, some stuff out. Right. Um, and so that was really great. And um, I continued to work with them for, for several years, even after I left Flint and still do whenever I get a chance. Um, but that group um, has done some other really cool stuff. We did uh, several gigs with Andy Norell, if you guys know who Andy is, um, the very famous Pam player, um, and just kind of gave me a very strong sense of respect for what it really takes to make music sound the way that it should sound. So, yeah, I mean, we were we were in there every day and we had rehearsals every day. And when we were leading up to something big, it was not uh, uncommon for us to be there for seven or eight hours on a Saturday together, making it happen and working out parts and stuff. And so that that dedication and that um, just drive towards perfecting some something to the the closest point of perfection. You know, nothing is perfect, but getting something as as good as it can be and really not settling for any less than that was, was really the big takeaway from that group for me. Right. That sounds like a really good experience. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially as a a young player and and somebody just really getting it figured out. 
Um, so when, when, oh, go ahead. No, 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 sorry, go ahead. Um, when did you first encounter Brazilian music? So at that time, I definitely came across it because we were, we were playing a lot of obviously Calypso, Soca, uh-huh. um, Trinidadian and Tobago and music. Tr- sorry, Trinidadian and Tobagan music, I believe is how you would say that. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, good to know. I didn't know that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then we did a lot of, it was also a steel drum band and a, and a percussion ensemble. Um, so we did a lot of stuff where we would do like Caribbean jazz project songs on, um, you know, marimbas and stuff like that. And so we were playing some Cuban music for sure. Um, and I know, you know, around that time or a little bit before that time, I had definitely heard Paul Simon's The Rhythm of the Saints album, um, which has Obvious Child on it with Old Doom mm-hmm. um, and, and had that sound in my head for sure and knew, was conscious of like, that's the sound of samba, of Brazilian music. I don't know sort of where that connection came um, but I, I definitely was not understanding the direction of the Teleco Teco at this time, <laughs> um, or the finer points of Brazilian music. You know, I knew like this, the, the low surdu was on beat two, and I knew this pattern that was, I would later find out was completely flipped around. <laughs> um, and so... I then, I, I started at, at some point in this time, 2008, 2009, maybe, I started taking conga lessons with someone um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he recommended that I buy a compilation CD called Brazilians. Um, and it was just had a bunch of kind of random stuff, but but there was a bunch of good pagogi on there. Um, there was some Northeastern music on there, some, some foho, and uh some other kind of sambas like uh a samba that sounds like it was like a dj played it and kind of like turns the phaser up really (laughs) high and there's some some weird stuff that happens so i got that album and i got an album that's another compilation it was some soccer album from brazil and it had a you know it was a big soccer ball on the cover and it's like it's like taking clips taken from like a soccer game, like crowds cheering and then the samba starts playing. And, uh, crazy. Yeah, super crazy. I have no idea where the CD is or what it, what it actually was. Um, but those were definitely the first like listening experiences where I heard real, you know, authentic Brazilian music in context. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that that's definitely the first exposure I had to it. I can remember then trying to start incorporating the rhythms into my playing and you know again being knowing now being completely backwards. <laughs> um but <laughs> but I would later, you know, I would later get that figured out, thankfully. And <laughs> and now now I understand. It's in your first experience with uh, playing in a big bateria was in Chicago, right? With Reed. That's correct. So um, just to kind of continue where we're at, I decided to go to uh, Columbia College, Chicago to study percussion because I found out that I could focus on Latin percussion. 
And so I was like, oh, okay, here's a place like I don't have to go worry nice. about vibraphone and marimba and all this other stuff. Um, <laughs> which, which, you know, I would later, I would later come to slightly regret. I, th- I think it was a good experience, but I, I don't think it's ever good to look for shortcuts for stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there were definitely for a while, you know, I, I, I fixed some of that stuff in grad school, but I think for a while there were some gaps in my playing probably still are as a result of not coming up through that tradition and through the, mm-hmm. the marching tradition and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I came to Chicago or went to Chicago, I should say, I'm not there anymore. Um, and started studying with a, um, world-class percussionist, Ruben Alvarez, um, who's, uh, you know, close, close friends of Michael Spiro, close friends of John Santos and, and all the, um, you know, big name guys, but he's more focused in Cuban percussion and Latin kind of Latin percussion. So we did some Brazilian stuff in college. Um, but, but that was really not the, the direction of my, my study with him and my lessons. Um, but he did recommend me to bless you to, uh, Felipe Fraga, who's a percussionist now living in Los Angeles, um, from Brazil and uh you know i took a lesson with him he showed me some um pagoji pandeiro rhythms he showed me some cuica stuff and some birimbao stuff and so i kind of took that stuff mm-hmm. and 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 worked on it a bit on my own and you know didn't have uh continued lessons with him but but took that information and um i was definitely listening at the time to a lot of fusion and playing in funk bands and, um, you know, trying to use, use Brazilian rhythms in a non Brazilian music, musical context. Mm, context yeah. Um, so then I finished school and, um, started teaching, uh, classes through like, uh, after school programs and, and arts-based enrichment programs that are funded by grants, you know, Chicago public schools, uh, has some lack of funding uh, for music and the arts. And so sometimes there's there's other opportunities to bring, kind of bring it in the back door and, and get it to the, the students in other ways. Um, and I did that, I was doing that for a while and um, I came, I met Reed Flicked, um, who I think you guys know. I think he's a an episode on here somewhere. <laughs> episode twenty six. Episode twenty six. Um, and Reed is just you know the best guy uh, to know when it comes to anything because he's just a a great human being. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a funny story. What happened is I was living with this great bass player at the time, and uh, a band that Reed and some of the other people who would later become Bloco Maximo had a band called Fat Book, um, needed a bass player and hired um, my bass or my roommate to go drive to Texas with them, play this gig and then drive back. And so, so he comes back from Texas and he's like, man, all these guys this weekend to listen to the same music you listen to. And you know, he's, a, he's a bass player, not into world music at all. Like, So, so anything, anything Cuban or anything like that was like, oh, he listens to the exact same stuff as you. (laughs) And so, uh, so I said, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. I told me you guys got to meet. I told him. 
And so Reed came over like a couple days later to drop off his amplifier. And he's like, yeah, you should come to this rehearsal. We're going to play some samba. And I'm like, sweet. You know, I've been waiting to find some people mm-hmm. to to play with. And so I show up and and it just so happens that they have this crew of people who all went to this tiny college in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, where they played a bunch of samba and they have all these rhythms and all these breaks and, you know, they know all this stuff. And um, so I just. I was along for the ride at that point. You know, I was really excited to to come across people who were as excited about it as I was, but actually had a little bit more knowledge that that could help me kind of straighten some some of my gaps out. Mm-hmm. And what were you um, playing in those early days? Uh, a lot of chumbao. When we when we were doing samba heggy stuff, I did I played a lot of chumbao. Um, me and another another guy, Matt Krychek. Um, we're kind of the only ones willing to like rip our hands up that much, you know, we'd come every week and just like, okay, I guess blister healed a little bit, you know, let's, let's go for it again. And, um, but I would, but you know, my, my main gig is, and was at the time hand drumming and, and conga drumming. And so it, it was kind of, you know, it, it was, it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Um, I didn't mind, um, and then when we started doing Rio stuff, I played Kaisha in, in Bloco Maximo. And, you know, we, we moved around a little bit when we had to fill gaps. But fortunately, um, for the first two or three years of that group, we really had a lot of steady um, progress and dedication and people, you know, sticking with it and coming. It's, it, you know, it started to change after a while, as, as most, most groups like this do. Um, but but we had a great, you know, just a great thing going for a while. Awesome. I was about to say, where is this mythical group that makes <laughs> progress? Well, you know <laughs> that was a really cynical thing to say, I guess. <laughs> well, I will I will say, I in I in my own directing now and I, I won't say frustrations, but my own contemplations of trying to figure out the best way to go about things. Um you know, I look back at that a lot and like, what, what did we have that worked and, and why were we able to do things? And I think at the time that we, we all kind of came together, a lot of us were getting out of school for, from studying percussion, which right. is oftentimes like a very, you know, you're juggling a lot of plates and you're used to being in these rehearsals where maybe you're going to play one or two concerts at the end of the semester but, but you know that you need to put the time into the music to learn it the right way. Um, you know, I think we probably all had some, some directors somewhere along the line that yelled at us a little bit and made us feel like we needed to work really hard. Uh, there were some members who also acted as those directors at times and kind of pushed, pushed everybody, which you definitely need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that was a lot of it. And then you know, life takes over and you're out of school for a little while. And then people have girlfriends and wives and kids and jobs. And you gotta, you know, you gotta respect, respect people's time and people's, people's, what we'll say real life things that come up, that come up, um, to where maybe, maybe weekly Samba practices has to take a little bit of a backseat. That can be, that can be tough for the director, but I, I do think, I do think that, that there's some, some value in understanding 
<laughs> Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, you know, because you can't go off. You can't go off in every rehearsal, or or it doesn't mean anything. You got you got to go like once every three rehearsals or something. So tell us about your group now that you're in. So Samba Nashville uh, is about a year old and we're um, kind of focused on Samba Hege rhythms right now and and, uh, more Bahian style Samba with the the idea that, you know, in the next few months, we'd like to we'd like to begin working on Rio, but we know it's going to be a, you know, an up an uphill battle and Mm -hmm. there's going to be some techniques that need to be learned and practiced and et cetera. but we are about 12 members strong um, with the idea that we have kind of a couple of other things going on um, outside of the group that perhaps could beef the group up if we needed to for a large event. Um, gotcha. So, for example, you know, I, I have my classes uh, at school. And so theoretically, if we had a big parade in the summertime, I could call on some students um, would know at least, you know, several of the breaks that we, we have with Sama Nashville that I could, mm-hmm. and, and grooves that they could very easily slide into. Yeah, yeah. And even though, you know, some of the, some of the things I modify for my students, um, the modifications would still work just fine with the full, with the full break. Um mm-hmm. And uh, then we have another uh, member, a guy who has been in Nashville for years. His name is Dan Sherrill. Um, and he was kind of the guy here for a while, just, you know, trying to keep or, or bring Brazilian music alive in the city. Um, and he worked for a while in, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't speak for him on the year, um, but at some point he worked for Contemporanea and he would go to like trade shows in the Southeast um, and represent, you know, when, I guess when they were still trying to be a part of the American market. Hmm. Um, And so he would go represent them at trade shows and then, then he'd be able to take home some drums and that was his payment. And so he has a a lot of uh, great Contemporanea instruments. Um, I have a ton of school instruments. Um, and then I have a, a, a bunch of personal instruments. So we've, we've been fortunate to have kind of an easy time putting that part of, of the thing together, which can be a struggle too. As you guys know, getting good instruments in people's hands is, yeah. you know, not, not always an easy thing to do. Especially uh, when you're new. It's such yeah. A, it's such a huge yeah. barrier when you're, when you're brand new. It really, it really is. And if, you know, if people don't know if they like it or not yet, Right, right. Um, you don't want to encourage them to spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. but you don't want to also like, I mean, even now, like I, I bring a lot of the drums a lot of the time, you know, which is mm-hmm. the director's job, but it's also, you know, it's hard. It's, it's tedious. There's a lot that goes into that outside of just rehearsal time and coordinating to make sure the drums are where they need to be and stuff. Well, and repairing. Maintenance. And- yeah. yeah. Maintenance for Maintenance. sure. Um, can get pricey and, and time consuming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Dan, Dan has this really cool project he's recently started and we, we did like a kickoff gig where Sama Nashville performed, Um, but he's doing like a dad's with drums. I think it's called a dad's with drums program. 
at a for like a pre-k <laughs> program awesome. yeah it's really cool so uh, we have this organization here the tennessee performing arts center and they do you know a lot of great shows but also um work in the schools and stuff like that and so he works for a pre-k program with them and basically the idea is that these dads can come for a certain amount of sessions um there's a, a place for the pre-k students to go most of the class but then like the last 10 minutes they come in with the dads and drum um but for most of the time the dads are there learning some of our samba rep basically oh, cool. and so when we have a parade in the summertime then they can come and play with us so like yeah, nice. we kind of have um our group and then we're kind of trying to be a broader or have have broader connections to the community yeah. um without you know, I, I don't think that I'm ready at this point in time and in, in the group's development to take on like a community group project, yeah. you know? <laughs> so yeah, you're, pl- not- sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. So your, your um, members are musicians. Most of them. Yeah. I think we have, um, even, even the people in the group who are not professional musicians at some point in time or other, were were active active musically um and most of the members are either professional musicians or still perform aside from sama nashville in some other professional music endeavor mm-hmm. um, i saw that on your website that's that's different than a lot of groups in the country it sure. is and it's yeah. it's why i'm you know part of the reason why i don't want to expand too quickly too soon is i think mm-hmm. um you know, 12 or 12 to 15 people, you can do a lot with 12 to 15 people. Mm-hmm. And though it might not be the sound of um, the Escola or the Bloco, or, or maybe more the sound of a Bloco, but um, although it may not be this enormous 60 to 100 person group, I, I would rather have a really clean sound that that we can get to a point that sounds better and swings more sooner than be every week right um right. trying to teach the same thing which which is there's still a lot of that going on too you know let's be especially honest especially in the town you're in because the town you're in quality matters quite a bit it does it does <laughs> um yeah. i remember going to karaoke there i had a friend who got married there we went to karaoke and it was like the most intimidating karaoke <laughs> thing because every single person that got up was amazing you know there was like the person that looked like you know the professional drinker over there in the corner and she would get up and belt it out and we were all just like holy cow <laughs> yeah there's this no is not like yet. brides what do you call it the brides what do you call that thing like the what do you call that the night before the person gets married oh the bridesmaid brides. party Night out yeah bridesmaids party like karaoke thing it was crazy. there is a whole bunch of that going on down here too though if you come in the summer crazy. they're everywhere yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, they have these like it's so weird here when you drive through downtown there's like you're dodging golf well pedestrians obviously drunk pedestrians but golf carts and like um have you seen those trolleys where people like drink and, yeah. and they're like riding a bike yeah they have them and pedal too. yeah they have those here. <laughs> they're everywhere and it's like you're trying to drive through like a busy city downtown and these people are going like five <laughs> miles per hour <laughs> It's impossible. And screaming, you know, just, just yeah, wasted yeah. in the middle of the day. They have one here that goes on the river. It's like a, pa- a paddle <laughs> boat. Oh, really? and you drink and pedal and there's a paddle boat. That, yeah. Oh, wow. Is that 
Is that Portland? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a city that I would love to to come visit. Come on out. Oh, we, we would like to soon. I'd like to come and do a whole whole West Coast thing, you know? Yeah, you should. You should. Um, so yeah, we you know, we have a, a pretty good thing going on. We're definitely in the developmental stage, and I think um both the Brazilian music community and the world music community in Nashville are at that that point right now. Um hmm. the city is expanding rapidly. I think it's um just under Austin, like we're we're at eighty to a hundred people a day are moving to Nashville, um, and a, and we have a, a large um, immigrant population coming as well. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of Syrian um, refugees and and other immigrants from the Middle East, but that's in turn sort of spurring this uh, international population to come out of the woodworks. Hmm. So. They just opened this really cool spot called Plaza Mariachi, um, which is they they took an old Kroger. Do you guys have Kroger there? Uh, that's not here, but I know what it is. Okay, so it's for, Albertson's. the same thing as Albertson. They own, own yeah. Fred for Meyer. people who don't know, it's just a big gro- grocery store. Um, and so they took an old Kroger and completely gutted it and ha- brought in an architect from either Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic, I believe, and designed the inside of this building to look like downtown old San Juan in Puerto Rico. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, so they have these, you know, marquees and there's these uh, rows of what are supposed to be kind of alleys and they're, they're um, like stands for, you know, there's stores in there and insurance salesmen and, um, but they also have live music going on all the time. They have this big stage and an open nice. room with a food court. And so that's brought a lot of just like, you, you know, you look at the the billing for the week and you're like, how are there 20 Latin bands in Nashville? Like, <laughs> where did this from? come from? You know, um, so and and I see that that trend picking up in other areas too. some of the nightclubs and um, some of the other jazz musicians starting to to explore more of that and wanting to incorporate more of that or bring those type of musicians to town. Um, so, so I think that it's a growing thing in Nashville and I'm trying to uh, understand that and exercise patience, which can be hard. Um, and just understand that, that to, to do this and be in it for kind of the long haul, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, and it's going to take, you know, some time to develop people as musicians and performers and, and to develop the group's reputation and the group's name. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's really where we're at. Um, we do have a really great, uh, Shoro group here as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys, do you guys know Larry Seaman? Yes. Larry's a long time. Yeah. Brazil camper. Yes, he is. So Larry is, is in Sama Nashville. Um, and kind of how I got hooked up with with Brazilian music in Nashville. Uh, so another Bloco Maximo member from Chicago, John Beard. Hi, John Beard. Uh, hey, John. Uh, man, John is awesome. Talk about talk about somebody I've learned a ton from. Just being around and playing with him, John is amazing. Yeah, he does a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, quite a bit, and he does most of it really well. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention he's like an engineer and, you know, <laughs> builds Chumbao stands and all these other, all these other secret real life things. Secret that he talents. Does. 
Yeah, secret talents. Um, so John, uh, when I was getting ready to move to Nashville, introduced me to Larry. Um, and Larry invited me to come to uh, just a rehearsal, the Shoro Pagoji rehearsal. They do kind of a little bit of both. Um, and and we got started working through there. And that's kind of how the Bateria formed as well as uh, after, you know, I felt comfortable with them having gone a couple times and said, hey, would you guys be interested in in trying to explore this other side of Brazilian music? And um, but we but, you know, we have this great Shoro thing happening. Uh, we have we have this, the Bateria happening now. Um, and so I think I think combining those efforts and trying to uh, bring things together, we're going to try and have a carnival show this year and um you know, I think, I think it, it, it can grow and I think it can grow together. And I think it can, there, you know, we can create kind of a niche in the, the so-called, uh, you can't see my air quotations, but the scene. Uh, yeah. You guys should play at that old Albertsons or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where we're, you know, that we fingers crossed. That's where we would like to hold our, our carnival celebration. Oh, nice. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cause it's a, it's a huge open Don't space. Jinx it, yeah. Well, you know, we'll find some, look, we'll play in a park. It's, <laughs> it's warm here by, by March, April, we'll make it happen. <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, so, so there's a, uh, there's kind of, kind of some uh, international music growing and there's some momentum for it. So I, I think we're gonna, you know, just kind of, kind of try and be along for that ride. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So are you... Now can we... Oh, go ahead, Diana. Oh, I just wanted to go backwards a little bit mm-hmm. about your job. You came to Nashville for a particular kind of job, right? I did. Um, so I am a, uh, quote unquote, world percussion specialist for Nashville Public Schools. Um, I know if Michael Spiro ever hears this, he would he would not be thrilled with that title, I'm sure. Um <laughs> As I sometimes feel feel the same, you know, it's like w- world percussion is is what like everywhere in the world. Like I don't I don't exclude even Western percussion from that. Like we're talking about the entire world. Right. So so I kind of look at that as just really being able to do whatever I'm good at and whatever I can can best provide the students with a percussion education through. Um, and so most of that for me is is wanting to and thinking it would be good to teach them Brazilian music. Um, we also do um, other styles and stuff, but there's just something about, excuse me, there's something about, um, you know, the instruments of the bateria that just, that just speak to people. And um, I think, you know, it helps that you can hit most of them. You can hit and directly make a sound right away without a ton of effort. Whereas maybe a hand drum, you have to have a certain type of technique to be able to get mm-hmm. a good sound out of the instrument. Um, you can, you can hit a surdu and if you bounce the stick off of it, like you're going to get a great boomy sound. You're going to feel it in your body and you're going to get excited about it. Um, so, so I came to Nashville. Um, my wife who is amazing, um, and is just the smartest person I know is, I got a job as a a professor at Vanderbilt University. Um, So I started looking at, you know, what was around Nashville. Um, 
that I could, I, I was getting ready to finish my master's degree in music education. And so I was looking at the national public schools and, and looking at the areas around, around here and um, just kind of, you know, decided to go talk to somebody at my school about my moving and, you know, see if they had any connections. So I went to talk to, um, it was a very small school. I went to grad school at Vandercook College of Music. Um, and the president, uh, his name is Char- Charlie Mangini. Um, and he's a, you know, kind of a big name in the, in the education world. Um, and he, he was just like, oh yeah, I know the lady who, you know, just took over the performing arts for national public schools. I was like, oh my gosh, well, <laughs> that's great. Can you put me in touch with her? And so. That's uh, great for me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, wow. Um, and so, you know, at that time I was applying for jobs in Nashville for like uh, band director positions. And um, I applied for general music, like elementary general music positions. I figured I could do a lot of drumming in that type of environment. Um, and just, you know, it was never on my mind that I could get a job like teaching percussion or quote unquote world percussion full time. Like I, I went back to school because I couldn't make enough money doing that. You know what I mean? I couldn't get consistent <laughs> teaching work and then you go to school and like learn how to play all these uh, band instruments and to to walk out into a job doing what you were trying to do before. So <laughs> life, life is really crazy like that, you know? Um, but I landed this awesome job um, and I've been super fortunate uh, to really be able to do with it kind of whatever I want. So I, uh, I split my days every other day. I go between either I'm at a middle school or I'm at the high school. Um, and then on the days when I'm at the high school, I, uh, go to an elementary school close by for an enrichment class at, uh, after school. Uh, so it's still school for the, the elementary students, but after school for the high school's gotcha. students. Um, so, uh, you know, I, the idea behind the, the hiring in the program is that my middle school students would then feed into the high school. And I think, you know, now the elementary students would feed into the middle school and it would be mm-hmm. kind of a big circle. Um, some of it works like that. Some of it doesn't. It, it's um, Nashville is school of choice. And so even though a kid maybe is zoned to go to one school, they don't necessarily always do that. Um, so I really only have like at the middle, at the high school this year, I really only have one student that I had at the middle school last year. So the idea is that it, that it's progressing and like they come to the high school and have some understanding of Samba and, you know, West African music. And, um, but it, that hasn't necessarily been, the case as of yet. Um, but at the middle school, you know, we do, uh, we kind of split into, to, um, smaller units. I only see the kids for nine week rotations. It's kind of like, uh, like they rotate to me, to the, the visual arts teacher or the, the gym teacher. And so it's kind of just like a really quick, general music introduction um which is cool 
I, I would, you know, I would prefer to have students for a longer period of time and to be able to develop them a little bit more. Um, but I'm able to do that at the high school. I have the students for the full year and they're in, uh, like 90 minute blocks. So I see them every week for three to four and a half hours, um, wow. which is cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so by this time of year with the beginner classes, like, you know, we've played some Samba Hege, we did some, um, we did some Tambu Bamboo, which is a style of music from Trinidad <laughs> and Tobago. Um, we have, uh, spent a lot of time trying to learn to read rhythms and, um, you know, they're getting ready to perform for part of their exam. They have to play like a, you know, a very simple snare drum solo. Um, and so then I also have, uh, an advanced class at the high school of students that I had in my class previously. And that class is pretty much fully focused on performing, um, and trying to be out in the community and performing. And, um, so we've done with with that group we've done um a lot of samba hege and some other afro brazilian rhythms um we've also done some composing uh using brazilian instruments but trying to kind of come up with some new stuff that they're interested in um and then we've we've tried very hard to to, to do some some rio style samba and we we have successfully played some rio style samba it it definitely doesn't swing <laughs> we're missing some instruments, uh, but we're 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 playing. They understand what a virata is. They can respond to a shamata. They have some. There's some call and response happening, and um, so that's like always. That's just super exciting for me because I I feel like the music is so uh, it's so complex. Like you know the the samba of of the avenue in Rio is just it's it's so deep. And there's so much there and some of the breaks and, and some of the things are, you know, when I really try and explain it to like, like break it down for high school students, like I, I realize how much you really need to know just to do kind of the basics, um, which maybe isn't the case with all of the Afro-Brazilian stuff. And so it can be a little bit easier to get that stuff off the ground, I think, first that makes any sense to you guys do are the kids into it like do they or do they want to be there do they get to choose to be there or not be there and are they into it because i find i mean when i've observed classes i don't teach classes but when i've kind of helped out with some it seems like some kids are super into it and some of them it's almost like maybe the more you know sensitive kids more quiet kids i guess it's it's almost like they it hurts them to be there you know it's so loud and they don't <laughs> yes, want to be there so it's yes. like how, how um does it work with your it's it's totally it's all everything all yeah. at the same time always <laughs> <laughs> um i you know it is the sense you know so just to to backpedal i get assigned kids so gotcha yeah. they they like my class uh at one point was labeled eurythmics which is actually like dance it's like moving to music they just mm -hmm. didn't really understand so i got them to change it um now it's changed to instrument techniques, but there's no clarification on what instrument. And it just shows up as INST dot techniques. So uh, 
So I've had some like kids thinking they were coming to a computer class and all just all sorts of stuff. Like they do have some freedom to choose their classes at the high school level. They just don't don't always exercise their freedoms Uh of their high school students. Uh (laughs) Um, So I'd say that the general rule is within, you know, with for the first within the first couple weeks. I can get most kids excited about being in a class where mm-hmm. you get to play drums and and make music and you know I'm pretty relaxed especially at the beginning of the year um it starts to be a little bit harder as they realize that things are are difficult you know as uh as they realize we're trying to read music and we're not going to play the same thing that we know we can do well every day. We're going to push ourselves. And um, there are really some some kids that don't want to do anything. Um, and I'm convinced that no matter what you you put them in or situation you put them in, there, there are just some kids who are going to revolt whether they want to do it or not. Sure. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't teach in the, the easiest area. Um, um, I'm kind of in the the northern part of the city, and um, the high school specifically. We have kind of this this interesting dynamic where we're right outside of of Na- Nashville's like a metropolitan area, so we're right outside of technically Nashville, but it's still metropolitan Nashville. It's still encompassed in Nashville public schools, so they kind of bust down kids from um, what's like a a more rural area, and there's a lot of like. Uh, farmland and and that type of uh economic atmosphere and then uh kids bust up from north nashville which is just like the north part of downtown um which is a little bit rougher area and so there's there's those two groups kind of meeting crazy (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of bizarre (laughs) um and so, you know, that can be difficult for things like after school rehearsals and getting kids rides and, um, mm. you know, having having an understanding of what what hard work is and, um, you know, what respect is and things like that. So, um, you know, we talk about and explore all that stuff in in all the classes, but I'd, I'd say about two thirds half to two thirds of the kids are, are generally excited to be in class, want to play, want to, want to play well. Um, and then I have, you know, the advanced classes is a much higher percentage. Most of those kids are choosing to be in the class, Mm -hmm. um, with the exception of two or three, uh, and, and like, you know, we're, we're going after and trying to, trying to really do something. Um, the, interesting thing about the advanced class is they so in schools they they really don't like to see low numbers in classes like not you know a small group of students right right um which really is like every every really good class i've ever had was because it was a small amount of kids that's how you really are able to to work with kids especially musically um but uh they with my advanced class, I had a, a decent size group, but, um, you know, being a, a music class and a non-credit class, uh, if they realize a student needs this math credit, they pull them from my class first and, and put them into mm-hmm. to the class that they need for that. And so 
my class dwindled down a little bit about halfway through the semester and they started uh, putting a lot of, um, they call them exceptional education students now, special needs students uh, in the class, which, you know, I really love working with that population and, and it's, it's never been an issue for me. Uh, but it, it's really hard because they, they, they're in my advanced class. So I have like one special needs student who is like very high functioning um, and is on, you know, kind of like the, the autism spectrum. And so his, his modifications are, you know, I need to simplify rhythms for him. I need to, to make sure that he is, is confident in his ability because he's absent a lot, but then also is in this class with like students who have been playing for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And and he's playing, you know, he's showing up once a month <laughs> um, yeah. and just trying to be a part of it. And so there's that. And then I have like uh, a student in a wheelchair who's non-responsive with an aide. Um, I have a student who, who can't communicate, but she can like, you know, keep a steady beat on a drum. Um, and then I have another student who can like she's very excited and energetic, energetic, but she can't communicate either. And she can't really keep a steady beat. She can like get it started and then she gets excited and stops. So I'm kind of simultaneously in that class trying to teach like these Salguero breaks <laughs> and, uh, and then teach these special needs, needs kids to like mm-hmm. keep a steady beat to the music <laughs> we're playing. So it's a, it's become a really interesting dynamic uh and and teaching experience for me too in that class um wow but but you know the special needs kids are just jacked up to be there and like that sometimes that energy is like that's more rewarding than what you get back from the other kids because the other kids sometimes are so unmotivated and and or unenergetic kind of too cool for it yeah yeah and and you see you know that's definitely like the seventh through ninth grade thing like too cool for anything you know <laughs> um, in 10th and 11th and 12th grade you start to see them grow up a little bit and, and figure it out but yeah there's definitely that like like I don't want to go perform because my my peers are going to roast me I'm like what are you talking about like you're doing something positive you sound good like what are you worried about you know just because you're standing out, probably. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because they're they're just not used to being vulnerable yeah. and and putting themselves in a situation to be not judged, but to be looked upon mm-hmm. um, and per, perhaps revered. I mean, if I was, I was at one point a high school student that saw something like that. But if I was a high school student who who saw some drumming like that, I would go nuts. You know, <laughs> like I, I just. <laughs> It's funny to me that they that they think like that. You know, I'm like, guys. You know too, but you know, at that age, they're so mean to each other. And yeah, they just pick yeah. on each other for the smallest things. It doesn't matter if it's a good, positive thing or a negative thing. If it's just something that stands out, like you've got a new shirt on. Or anything, <laughs> right. you know, they like will go after you. <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's so, so true. brutal at that age. It is. It is. And I'm telling you, middle schoolers are even worse. Middle schoolers are just so mean to each other. <laughs> just like, just don't talk to me because I don't want, I don't, I don't have enough confidence to handle your criticisms. Okay. 
<laughs> I don't think I can hang with these kids. He's right, right. I barely, I barely make it. I come home, <laughs> come home crying in the fetal position. You know? <laughs> I have like, mi- middle school bullies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy crying in the corner? <laughs> oh, that's Mr. Zach. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, how do you for your um for your Samba Nashville people and for your students? How do you uh, motivate? them to practice outside uh and to show up to practice well i I, as really sad as it is to say this i i feel like i've kind of given up on that a lot (laughs) um uh, i i encourage people to practice i think uh for my high school students it's difficult because they don't have the tools they don't have um sticks and and practice pads Mm -hmm. and drums and i've tried to remedy that um and we, we have a, you know, a, a shout out to Nashville Public Schools and we have a, a program called Music Makes Us and the Country Music Association funds just these enormous amounts of, uh, or just funds enormous projects and grants and um, we don't hurt for instruments, excuse me. Nice. Um, but I cannot convince them to buy me a bunch of practice pads and sticks because, because they're expensive and, and I get that. Um, but if I had that and could rent those out to students, it would be easier for me to hold them accountable for practicing right now. I don't feel that I can, I can say you need to go practice, but I'm not giving them an, a, a, a right. tool to practice, you know? Right. So m- what I do do though, is assign, um, uh, like music reading excerpts that they need to prepare and come back and perform. So it might be 16, 20 measures, or it might be some kind of, you know, really simple solo out of a snare drum book. Mm-hmm. Um, something that they can do either with their hands or just clapping, um, playing on their legs, something like that. Um, but I don't really expect that I'm going to get these, you know, urban high school kids to go home and, and shred Samba as much as I would would love for them to be doing that. Um, unfortunately, you know, they get super, super excited about like watching a movie like school of rock and they go home and finish it that night, but they won't, they won't, <laughs> they won't go, go look up all the doom breaks and, and practice along. Uh, <laughs> um, but with Sama Nashville, you know, I encourage people, I, we have a Google drive. Um, we're currently in the process of editing some recordings so that we have a specific recording of every break that we play just isolated. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm encouraging people to at least listen. I think if you, especially at, at that level, um, though a lot of the, the people are not necessarily percussionists, but musicians of other instruments, um, at that level, if you can spend some time listening, it can become a lot easier than when we're in a room together to to put it all together. If you've heard it and you understand, um, especially like a complex break. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's the most encouragement that I do is is to push them to to just review the material. Um, I would absolutely love to find out that you know, people were getting together and, and shredding Kaisha or or trying to learn how to play Kahitero and Tamborim so that when we go play Rio, 
style samba it's it's there and we don't have to suffer through the the pains that kind of kind of come with that the growing pains but it i don't i don't necessarily think it's realistic um you know this is a musical endeavor that we're all doing because we love the music like nobody there's not a lot of money in this for anybody and so if if any and so um as, as much as i would like to progress at a faster rate and would like to uh you know have a situation where where i knew people were practicing every day i don't i don't expect that to to be a reality for me in the near the near future so i kind of i kind of roll with with what i got try and make it work that in in that way it sounds very healthy <laughs> uh, i'm i'm trying i'm trying you know it, it's been it's been a little over a year um and i feel like if it's ever going to happen for a long period of time, you gotta, you gotta find ways to not get too stressed out every time something happens. That's, bo- that's for me both at school and, and with Sama Nashville, you know, I was getting really upset about kids not coming to performances and stuff like that. And oh, the whole Kaisha section is missing. And then I realized like, you know, at some point there's, there's seven other kids standing right here that want to play. So who cares if these three kids didn't show up? even if they're an important part, like you got to put your time towards the people that did. And so I'm, I'm trying, trying to be healthier about it. Diplomatic. (laughs) Um, It's hard. I mean, when you're you're running a group and you're kind of like the one in charge and you know what it can be, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you've got this vision and maybe the other people don't quite know what you're working towards. Like it, it could just be, yeah, yeah. Only and like, you're, oh man, your hopes and dreams can hang on one good player, <laughs> then they move away, and you're just like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you got it. Like, <laughs> like in our episode with Jacare, he from Austin. Yeah, you know, yeah. He started with know, just a couple yeah. people. You know, with three and, people. Yeah, he was like, yeah. oh, we sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and now they're huge and. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I, we had never met, um, but I went to Austin for um, just a personal trip a few months ago and went over, you know, contacted Jacare and went over to his house. He was so, so friendly and gracious. Um, And we went over and and hung out and Ayilton was in town. um, And I I knew Mr. Ayilton from, um, you know, when he came to, he came to Chicago for three weeks back. Um, and then had come another time and we had done some, you know, I, I went to as many of his classes as I could. And then we did some private lessons as well. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's just, uh, can't say enough about him as a human yeah, being and, and a musician yeah. and a, and a director, but, um, you know, I was just fortunate to catch, catch him in town. And so I went over to Jacare's house and, uh, we hung out and, and he told me kind of the, the story of how Austin Samba got started and nice. kind of some of the, the trials and tribulations uh-huh. that he went through and where they're at now and <laughs> um, how much work and, you know, went into that. But also, you know, how we talked a lot about just where do you where do you push people and where do you decide it's OK mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. be what things are going to be and and. You know, I think at, at some point it we push people because, like you guys said, we have the vision, 
of of what it can be we know how much fun it can be when it's that good it's not like we're just yeah. doing because we want the right. sound like right. it's just more fun yes um to play good music and and to be a part of good music and um it's more fun for the audience it's more fun for the performers uh but if that fun comes at the cost of you know people not feeling like you know this this not feeling safe is like a very it's like a very new pc thing but like not feeling comfortable <laughs> in in a rehearsal mm-hmm. um you know i don't think that's the answer and so so i think that you know we just have to find the balance as directors of helping people see our vision but also understanding that our vision may not be everybody's vision right um and that has you know that has to be okay or or go find some new players that all share the same vision. I mean, let me tell you, there there have been days where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start a four person samba group. One person's <laughs> gonna play three surdus, one person's gonna play hapiki, one person's gonna play kaisha, and one person's gonna play tamborim, and it's gonna be killing and just thin. <laughs> um, but that's you know that's not the answer. This is communal music, and and it's about it's about the connections you make with people, and it's not. It's not always about, you know, the ego of getting the most killing group that you can possibly, as much as that's what, you know, we, what we all truly want at the right. end of the day. Well, there's the ego, but there's, I think more importantly, like you said, it's, it's more fun when you play better. It is. And when you're it playing is. with people who are also playing better, this, the fun increases like exponentially compared to the amount of time that you put into it there's no question it's so good yeah it's yeah well and i think it's sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say i think that's one of the fun things that happens at brazil camp is that there's such a high level exactly um and it's so amazing when you hear it and play it it's just great right and that's and that's the the great thing about also like bringing masters in mm-hmm. um and and you know that's that's something that I think is is imperative at a certain point. We we did that a lot with Bloco Maximum. That was a huge huge part of our development. Bringing in bringing in Georgie Alabe multiple times. Um, we brought in uh, Doctor Samba Philip Galinsky a few times. <laughs> um, had Ielton there a few times, and then uh, another uh, near and dear friend Rudy. Lou, do you guys know Rudy Rudolfo Lou? Um, is from the who's from the Bay Area is really close friends and an old student of Jimmy Bialos. Oh, that's right. And, I think yeah, I think I know. And so we had you know Jimmy came to town a decent amount, um, both to work with us and see Rudy and and read and hang, um, and so like that that kind of stuff, just just having those high level players there, e- either to play with or to just say like sometimes there there was one time I can remember specifically where uh, we had Georgie in town, I believe to, to do carnival with us. Like we, we would have a carnival celebration um, and we would work and work up all this rep. And then a couple of years we would bring Georgie in to like sing an Inhedu and do some workshops and um, maybe do, I think he did a condom lay thing a couple of times or with another group in, in Chicago. Um, and we were, we just, we said, Georgie, we just want to play. Like, we don't want any breaks. We just want to play and we want you to just like help us swing 
mm-hmm. as as best as we can. And by far, that was the the best we ever sounded as our the best our groove ever sounded. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that experience is one of the most fun times I ever had because mm-hmm. in 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 a you know in a samba context because we just were playing so as at such a high level and and everybody was on the same page and everybody was working towards that and and that's like just such a you know that's so much fun and it's such a mm-hmm. such a great thing to play music at that high level um it's it's just determining whether that's everybody in the groups ultimate goal you know and making sure everybody knows what whatever the ultimate goal of the group is gonna be and everybody's working towards that same same goal Mm -hmm. yeah i think sometimes with a new group especially is like people have not seen what you're working toward Mm -hmm. and so they don't even know really Oh, I'm trying not to tell a story. <laughs> <laughs> We're all trying not to tell a few stories. You know? Yeah, that's one funny thing about this podcast. I, I, after we get off, um, after we turn the microphones off, a lot of times um, people will be like, well, the reason why this story happened <laughs> is because of this. And I, and I totally understand why people hesitate to tell those stories. I mean, I'm doing it now, but I think it would be really therapeutic for the other people listening to know that that, that drama happens in every group like oh for sure these these problems happen in every group so anyway for sure and i mean i'll (laughs) I'll speak on that a little bit i'm not i'm not necessarily those that know me and have worked with me i'm not like shy to confrontation Um, i'm not trying to seek it out but if there's something that needs to be addressed uh if you if you don't communicate with each other in any relationship in life you're not it's not going to be healthy and you're not going to have a positive outcome and so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's good to be scared of each other and to be scared of that uncomfortable moment. I don't think you should try and create them. Um, but, you know, I with Bloco Maximo, I mean, I'll, I'll speak on this with Bloco Maximo. There was always a lot of just like we were all close friends. And so money was always a little weird. And like when when there was a gig. We tried to split it up, but sometimes different things happened and money went to different directions. And sometimes it was something you agreed with and sometimes it wasn't. And it, it just, I, th- I think, became a, a point of uh, contention, not only for, you know, just members, but also for, I'm sure, for people like Reed, who were who were the ones handling that. And it's just mm-hmm. it's just a lot to deal with. And, um, you know, people are funny about money. It's just, just yeah. kind of how it goes. So um, that's a certain type of drama that occurs. And, and I, you know, I can remember specifically speaking with Jacques Array about that and him just saying, just take money off the table, you know, just yeah. all the money just goes back to the group. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, I think that's a great approach uh, for a specific type of group. I don't think it works for every group. It's, it's becomes an issue here um, because say we have a gig on a Saturday night and I have a bunch of professional musicians in my group. Mm. They're taking off a Saturday right. night of work to right. play this gig. So if there is compensation for the gig and, and they don't get it like that, that just kind of sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause people are relying on this to, to live. Um, yeah, right. 
and you don't, you know, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You don't necessarily want your Samba, your Samba group to be that way, uh, to be what people are relying on. But, uh, if this is a skill somebody possesses and, um, you're, you're using that skill for your benefit, you know, you want to, you want to compensate people if you can. Interesting. I didn't think about that dynamic. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, drama needs to be met maybe not head on but it it needs to be met in a way that's that can be that that's understood that that it can be rectified that drama doesn't need to just keep expanding and expanding expanding and oftentimes i think as musicians um excuse my language but we just talk a lot of shit like we just are always we are all myself included we're always talking about something that has to do with with the music and the people and the money and the every which way something about it and so i think i think we probably cause a lot of that drama in doing that (laughs) um but but i think it's certainly healthier to just you know talk to the person we had a situation recently with um with someone who just i just could tell that they just weren't into it and i said i said it's cool like if you're not into it I, I don't want you to be spending your time doing something you're not happy about. Like, I think, I think it's very powerful to take control of, of your time. And so uh, ultimately this, this person ended up leaving the group. Um, but with the, you know, he's a guitar player with the caveat that like, Hey, at some point we're going to do some, some things where we could probably use you. We'd love to have you come back. So keeping the door open in those situations and not, you know, burning a bridge yeah. unless it's something that's, you know, unless somebody does you wrong or does somebody you're close to wrong, there's no reason to really burn those bridges. Well, if somebody is kind of doesn't want to be there, they're probably kind of acting like they don't want to be there. And that's kind of bringing everybody else down. And there's no question. The body language is there. Yeah. You just have to read it. <laughs> like if, yeah. if somebody doesn't want to be somewhere, it's, it's typically pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's good for people to hear because it happens in every drama for what, for millions of reasons happens in every group. And it, and it will anytime, anytime people are getting together and doing something and, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, that's just people, people, people think that they're right. And, um, and you just, you know, you just got to be open to, to seeing other people's sides and, and hopefully, Hopefully you don't have people in your group who are causing drama for a reason of, you know, malicious intent. If, well, if that's people going, gotta go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If that's going on, then it's just a, then it's a clear cut. Like, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the drama between friends and stuff is just, yeah. you just got to work through it. Yep. Yep. In one of the groups that I participate in right now, it's, uh, there's some high tensions happening. So it's <laughs> you stressful. Guys are growing pains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh, man. so sorry, well, you're but... you've got a pretty you know you're in the first year that's like a that's a that's a there's different stresses for for that yeah um what inspires you to keep going the music um i i'm trying to remember who who said it on here but oh i think you i think it was you guys quoted something recently from the um, the Batala directors, the Batala girls. <laughs> uh, where just like the, 
the only cure for the frustration of putting the music together is the music itself, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. I think for me, for me, the the motivation is that without this, I mean, I have my 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 students in school, but without this, like, there won't be samba that this style of samba in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, regularly, and so my motivation was when I came down here, and and kind of still is just the fact that I love this music and want to play it. And so I don't consider myself, you know, like I feel super humbled and honored to be a part of this podcast, but like, I don't consider myself somebody who should necessarily be directing this group. It's just somebody's got to do it. I know some breaks and some rhythms and, and have some, some ability to teach them to, to people. And so I want the music to happen. And so that, that's the motivation behind the whole thing mm-hmm. um i i yeah you know it, it, it can be difficult difficult to keep that motivation strong at, at times but uh i don't i don't think or foresee in the near future myself losing that drive and and passion for wanting wanting samba to be a part of the the national music scene because i think that there's a, a place for a, a strong bateria in several contexts here that, that oh, maybe yeah. they just have no idea, you know, like yeah. I think at some point we'll get into some, some playing situations where we can really show some people some stuff that they just, yeah. they just don't know about. Oh, for sure. It seems like there's a lot of smaller groups um, sprouting up in the South. Like we have a friend in Savannah really? that has a group. Yeah. I think that's great. Charlottesville. Do they have a Batala now? Is that where they said they were? Oh, There's a new Batala there, I think. Oh, wow. But yeah, throughout, throughout the South, there are a lot of little things. Asheville. Asheville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Asheville is supposed one. to be a real hip town, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. so things are happening. You know, it, it is definitely growing in that area where it hadn't been before. Which is fantastic. And, and you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like this, the things like your podcast, things like, like Marcos's program with Grooversity, Hopefully all those those type of things that kind of explore con- the connecting the global community to each other or, or even the, the national, the United States Samba community to each other. Um, I guess camp is another another huge thing for that. That's like, you know, that will continue to 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 make everything bigger and better and, and connect us all. And, um, you know, I think that's I think that's the end game. I think this. I think this is just communal music and the more communities that it's made up of, the better we are, you know, that we have our small communities um, where we play the music together. We have our, you know, local, you know, our personal communities where we all, you know, know some people from some different groups and we can draw on that. And then we have this kind of greater community where we're all supporting the the study and learning of uh, or study and performance of this music in, in a, a non, traditional context you know i think i think it would be better for everybody's sanity i think you need people to <laughs> lean on you know <laughs> and so many you know so, so many of our friends and and peers are you know educators like you and are bringing it to the school to the yeah. schools and you know there are a lot of kids out there learning samba right now Isn't that cool you know, that's fantastic yeah i think about that sometimes like like my kids even you know even as silly as this may be and as 
may never mean it. They may never need it in their life again. Like they know what a, a hapiki is. They know what a kaisha is. They know what surdus mm-hmm. are. They know what, you know, some basic break. Like that's cool. Like Maybe, maybe, maybe only to us because we care about it. <laughs> but, but like that's, you know, that's cool. They're learning that stuff and they know it. And so I think, oh, I think there's value in that. They can draw on that maybe later, you know, it'll spark something for later. They can. And even if, even if they never play the drums again, I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff they're getting out of. There's no question about that. Yeah. 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 That was one of the reasons why we wanted to start the podcast. You were talking about different levels of community was to sort of connect all the groups, at least in the United States and, and beyond, just kind of give inspiration for people who are struggling, you know, maybe somebody, in their town by themselves trying to pull it off, you know, mm-hmm. and doesn't really know what they're doing. I mean, you know, know exactly what you're doing, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that love this music and just want it to happen in their town and just need the tools to make it happen. You know, I don't know. We're- you know, you're, you're right on. And I, I mean, I think that says everything about the music, right? Like the mm-hmm. music just, well, the drum in general, um, but the, this, this type of drumming and this type of music just really draws you in. And when you get to a certain point, it, it's not, you can't do it by yourself. Like you, you need friends. <laughs> and like I said, you need four friends, three friends, four people. <laughs> Just kidding. That's all you need. <laughs> um, no, you, you need people and you need numbers and there's power in numbers and, and that's how you get it done. And so, uh, you know, sometimes you're working with professional musicians. Sometimes you're working with professional sambistas. Sometimes you're working with, you know, Joe Smith from around the corner who has some drumsticks and has some interest and mm-hmm. needs somebody to play some rhythms, you know? So, you know, with any, with all this stuff, we, we're, we're not living in, in the place where it's happening and, and where you can, you can find a lot of people who know a lot about it. So we got to make it happen on our own. And that's, that's really the end of the, at the end of the day, the, the, like we said before, kind of the motivation is just to, to make the music happen. And, and not that I think, cause I think there is some clarification that's needed. Not that I think making the music happen is the, the, which we've talked about kind of throughout, but is the end game. Like the music needs to sound good. It needs to be, yeah. it needs to be, uh, I, w- I won't say correct, but it needs to be culturally appropriate. Um, you need to be playing, you need to understand what you're playing. And if you are deviating from something that is a cultural norm, like let's say the direction of the Teleco Teco, uh, you need to know why you need to have a, uh, it's not that you can't do that, but you need to have a good reason and a good musical reason. And you need to be uh, conscious of the fact that you're doing and respectful of the fact that it comes from a specific tradition where it's done a specific way. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, (laughs) I don't really remember how I got on that tangent, but (laughs) But felt that needed to be said. <laughs> so, you know, you haven't been performing a lot with this group. You know, you've had this group for a year. But have you had any interesting gigs um, there in Nashville that you'd like to share experiences about? Yeah, we've we've done a few. We did, uh, some, you know, some DIY gigs, some some gigs we were asked to play, some gigs we just show up. <laughs> um, I, I felt that we maybe missed some opportunities. I don't know if you guys follow hockey. But the the Nashville Predators are really big. Like, go figure, Nashville's a, a huge hockey town. So we don't ever get snow and ice, but they got it inside the building. 
Um, so I, I felt like when the, when the Predators were in the Stanley Cup last year, we should have probably gone downtown more and, mm. and just played. Um, and, and hopefully they make it again this year and we can, we can do some of that. Um, but we did, uh, we had like a marathon here last year, um, after we had been kind of rolling for a few months, which was awesome. Um, we played, you know, we got, we had some, some, uh, media stopped and, and did some stories and we had some high school drumline kids showed up and, and jammed with us. And, um, that was a lot of fun. Um. We did uh, the the kickoff for uh, for that dads with drumming program not too long ago, which was another really cool gig because there was just like a bunch of uh, I assume they were all pre K. I don't know if there were some some kids that were maybe kindergarten first grade, but but a lot of kids and kids are just you know kids that age and drums just go <laughs> berserk. Kid, kids and uh, Sometimes elderly people, sometimes elderly people really don't like it, but sometimes they go, they get really excited about it. Um, uh, sorry. Our, uh, so that, that was like just a really fun audience to play for. And we were in like a, you know, a pretty small room making a lot of noise. And, and so that was a, a lot of fun. Um, but we haven't had like, we haven't had any really like crazy, crazy gigs or crazy stories, but I do have, just like one of my all-time favorite stories, and I don't think Reed told this on his his podcast interview, so I'll, I'll have to tell it. Um, but we, when Bloco Maximo was like maybe, I don't know, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't speculate, but probably a year or two into the group, like we had some stuff, but we we hadn't played a ton. We were still excited, you know, real amped up about it, and they got us a gig at their uni- at their school at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And um, do you guys know Andrew Green? Yes. Yeah, it's so even better. So Andrew, another beloved friend, um, Andrew gets the idea. And, and mind you, we're playing in like a college, like a little bit smaller than a classroom, a little bit bigger than a practice room, like maybe an ensemble rehearsal space for like a four or five person jazz combo and some chairs to fit comfortably in so andrew decides he's going to drive up early go to guitar center and buy uh a smoke machine and light <laughs> that, that he's then going to return the next day wait a smoke machine and what and lights and like professional lighting <laughs> equipment for, for this gig and so so we get there like middle of the day, late in the day, and and he's setting all this stuff up, and we're just, you know, dying laughing. Like, what is this guy doing? And uh, we proceed to start playing the gig, and uh, and you know, there's so so at the gig, uh, their teacher Dane Maxim Richardson, who's a phenomenal percussionist and and educators there. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Kyle Traska. I think Kyle was in town another phenomenal uh, percussionist and, and uh, samba musician. And so there were some, like some people in the room and we were all, you know, jacked up and having people come up and play. And we get to the middle of a set and I can't remember what we were playing, but you start to hear what sounds like somebody just like, just blowing, blowing their, their whistle a lot. Like 
why why is somebody <laughs> somebody just started soloing on the whistle you know and and we turn everybody kind of realizes at the same time we turn and look and realize that the fire alarm is going off <laughs> because, because these smoke machines were, were in this room just like making this huge huge cloud of smoke so we evacuate it's like the middle of winter in Wisconsin oh. we're wearing i think the if if memory serves me this is still early incarnation of bloco maximo uniforms and we're wearing these like white pants and white uh superhero t-shirts that Reed had purchased that did, you know I, I remember mine def- definitely did not fit very well <laughs> it was a little snug um and we all get evacuated from the building oh, no. uh the we have to wait like 20 minutes the fire department shows up they have to go through the entire building like there are people <laughs> yeah. who got evacuated who were just in the building like practicing saxophone you know <laughs> running running their scales and so so, so we we are you know basically kicked out of the hall for maybe 45 minutes to an hour the oh, clearest to go back in we go back in and play like eight more minutes of our set to make sure we finish playing every break we have learned in the last six months and uh then just proceeded to like hang out for the rest of the night and stuff i think that we had a workshop the next morning with somebody but just like i mean that's that's one of the most memorable just crazy geek stories with samba that i can think of it's a pretty good one There, there are some other ones but yeah that's a that's a good one the smoke machine. That's a- well, and like, why? What? What's the? <laughs> right, what's the right. purpose, man? Like at the end right. of the day, the and I mean, it's great. He he, re- he was able to return it and everything. <laughs> but no, like, good. did you really think you you went to school there? Did you really think they were putting us in a room big enough to warrant a smoke machine and lights? Like, well, and then once you saw the room, you're like gonna just still go ahead with your plan. <laughs> well, that, you know, it's Andrew Green. So once once he's committed to it, like. It's full throttle. It's going to be the best smoke machine and lights set up in a college practice room that you have ever seen before. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. Some good times. Was well, there anything that we haven't asked you that you want to share? No, I don't think so. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Any uh, shout outs or upcoming gigs you want to? Oh man. Work? Shout out to everybody. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, you know, I a lot of love for the greater Samba community, ton of love for, for Bloco Maximo and Samba Nashville, um, and to you guys and everything you do to, um, to, uh, everything that, that the masters have come and, and helped us with. And, uh, you know, people like, like Mr. Ailton who have come to the States and taken time away from their families to come and basically straighten us all out and, and tell us like, <laughs> look, look, you got to get, you got to get your stuff together. Um, that, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's, there's no, there's just no comparison to something like that. So the fact that those people or those masters have taken their time to come, to come and work with us and, and suffer through, I'm sure what, what I feel like I'm suffering through with my high school students is probably nothing. <laughs> like what they feel they're suffering through when they come to the United States to teach Samba. So um, shout out to that, to them for sure. Uh, um, but uh, no, that's, that's it. We don't have, uh, we don't have anything specific coming up. 
you know, I don't know exactly when this is going to air either, but we, we will be trying to do a, a big show for Carnival and trying to, to build that every year. And cool. um, definitely when, you know, it's so it gets so nice here when once things are warm up out there, so many outs, outdoor activities and um, marathons and parades and stuff like that. So um, we'll be trying to do a lot more of that this summer. We did a, a 4th of July parade last year. I think we'll try and do again this year. And Nice. Um, keep growing on that kind of that stuff and build some traditions. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what you're doing is really inspiring. That's really hard work, too. Well, I appreciate it. What you nice guys are job. doing is really inspiring. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for talking to us. Yep. Have a great night. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. If you want to learn more about Zachary, you can find him at zheimelho.com. Z-H-I-M-E-L-H-O-C-H.com. You can also find more about Samba Nashville at sambanashville.com. We're also going to put links to those on our website and a link to his thesis. So in his thesis, is kind of the same idea as Dana Montero's interview where he um, talked about bringing Samba into the public school system and uh, teaching that in the public school setting. So pretty cool stuff. So we don't have too many announcements. I'd like to make um, one or two here. Um, I mentioned this before, but if you are in the Portland area on February 2nd, Modica 2 PDX is having their second annual fundraiser at the Lagunitas Community Room on Northeast Broadway, and that's happening from 8 to 10 p.m. We're trying to get some funds together for um, Alphias to, um, you know, make our group a little bigger and accessible for people who may not have Alphias to play just sitting around at home. So come come out to the Modica 2 PDX fundraiser. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of music, some food, and a good time. So come to that. Also that same weekend, Salt Lake City is having their Samba Queen competition. You can find out more about that uh, at Samba Fogo on Facebook or on their website, sambafogo.com. We would like to say hello to all our new listeners out there. Please get in touch and let us know where you're from and what you're working on and your projects. If you are one of the lucky purchasers of our Brazilian Beat t-shirts this summer, we'd love to see photos of you in your t-shirt, be it in your hometown, be it in Brazil or any other country. So send us clips of you with uh, your great Brazilian Beat shirt on. We'd love to see them. Um, Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can um, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us there and leave a little review. That would be wonderful. Uh, You can also, if you want to help us out and you don't want to spend any extra money doing it, you can go to our website and at the bottom of some of the different guest pages, we have links to their CDs and their books that they've written and things like that. And those are links to Amazon. So if you click on those and go to Amazon, it doesn't matter if you buy those CDs and books, although you should, (laughs) Um, you can buy a, I don't know, you can buy a dish towel, (laughs) a bicycle. (laughs) Digital. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> Anything you buy, we will get a percentage of that. Um, it won't cost you any more, and um, we will get a little bit of credit for driving traffic to Amazon. So please do that. Um, you can find us at www.thebrazilianbeat.com. Please email us at thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com. Diana's tweeting on Twitter at BrazilianBeat1. We are on Facebook. 
the Brazilian Beat Podcast. Instagram, the Brazilian Beat, and you can either stream us from our website or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Google Play, and Player FM. Thank you for listening. Thank you.